and good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? Beautiful morning. Love it out here. Our scripture passage for this morning is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 19. Just one verse. And as I read it, I invite you to join with me by standing either in spirit or physically before God as we hear these words from the book that we love. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. Here's a story you've probably heard before, but as you listen to it again, consider another layer of meaning. Not a different meaning, but another layer to put on the layer you already know. He led Israel out of Egypt. He met with God face to face, and in fact, face to face, God gave him God's very word. And while he was leading the people in the wilderness, he had a visitor, his father-in-law by the name of Jethro, a wise man. What Jethro saw was that Moses was acting as judge over every single dispute that arose amongst the people of Israel. Moses was worn out. It was a noble task, speaking God's instruction to people, but it wore him out. So in Exodus 18, we read this. Jethro said, Why do you alone sit as judge? Well, all these people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses replied. And really, really spiritual-sounding reply, right? Well, because people come to me to seek God's will. In a dispute, I inform all parties of God's decrees and instructions. We might expect Jethro to respond by saying, that makes sense. But he doesn't. He says, that's not good. Moses, you should arrange for other leaders amongst the people of Israel to hear all the disputes. God has spread his wisdom out. Those that they can't give an answer to, then those come to you. But you raise up, teach, train, get ready people to hear all of the disputes. As an outsider looking in, Jethro added insight as he looked at the picture through a different lens. Now, we don't blame Israel because spiritually, it would make sense to go to the guy who is most experienced, to go to the guy who has stood before God face to face. This feels right, but it isn't sustainable, and it isn't healthy. Moses had no time for his family. He had no time to rest. He had no time to restore with those people who love him and those that he loved. See, when we have heard this story in the past, we often think it's a story about leadership and delegation. We're supposed to delegate people to free us up. True, true. I propose to you, though, there is another layer going on. 
It's a do-it-yourself spirituality. It's doing one spiritual task. It's going on one spiritual journey all alone. Maybe there's a better way. Because if Jethro doesn't appear, this movie ends in a very bad way. Moses is burned out. He is lonely. He is discouraged. He has bruised home relationships. And what else does that mean for the people of Israel? So if you're feeling like Frodo, but a little bit differently than how Tolkien wrote it, Frodo with a ring, but you are the only one on the journey. Man, that's a tough burden to bear, and it's a story that will not end well. Moses, the man who stood before God face to face, was rebuked. And he listened, and he learned. And he began to view his spiritual activity as something that's done together with others. Today begins a uh, shorter four to five talk series about our vision. We connect deeply, we follow intentionally, and we serve justly. And for the next four or five Sundays that I'm here, we're going to be looking at that second one, to follow intentionally. But I want to add another word to that. To follow intentionally together. God has so much to offer us. He has given us so much. He has given us a new and abundant life. And a proper response is to offer him our life back to him in thanksgiving where we follow intentionally. And how do we follow intentionally? A very big part of that is that we follow intentionally together in community with one another. In community is where we learn the story of Jesus. In community is where we learn to tell our story of Jesus and the difference that Jesus has made. We do this in community, together. And for some of us, it would involve a shift, a shift in how we view relationships, to view relationships as more meaningful relationships, that we actually, like Frodo, like Moses, need others with us on the journey God leads us on. So let me walk through a bit of following intentionally together. It begins with a spiritual model that we find early on in the church. We ourselves are not equipped to be the whole team. In leadership and life, God designed us for relationships. He designed us for other people. But the enemy is so very sneaky and deceptive to use culture to convince us that we are better alone. You got a task to do? You want to make sure it's done right? The only way you can be sure it's done right is if you do it alone. That way you know it will get done. And there's a spiritual ring to that practice, right? I mean, don't we want to make sure when we serve God it's done right? Doesn't that have a little bit of a spiritual ring? I'm going to make sure it gets done. And it gets done right. And so I got to do it 
on my own. And yet, the early church leaders lived their lives in deep, meaningful relationships. Exhausted and tired people don't produce much fruit, and they don't look attractive to others. If you are drowning in spiritual activity, drowning people don't save drowning people. The early church leaders, as revealed in the Bible, did life and they did ministry together. Here are just a few verses, and they're listed on the outline, but let me read them. From 1 Peter 5, Peter is writing, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, being the church, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does Mark. Philemon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, all my faithful workers. 1 Thessalonians 2. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but share with you our very lives themselves. These guys were smart people to devise a plan like this. <laughs> they were anything but smart people, right? They learned this. Who did they learn it from? They learned it from Jesus. They learned it from the one who knew that we were designed to go through life and to serve in ministry together. This is how we are to view relationships. And we need each other because we were not promised a bed of roses in following Jesus and serving him. In fact, we are promised difficult times, turbulent times, when we decide to follow Jesus. He has not sugar-coated it for us. It will be turbulent. John 16, Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. In Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus predicted a time when evil would run unchecked and love would grow cold. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4, the apostle warns of false teachers and ungodly times that are to come. Jesus only promised that we would have turbulent times, not a bed of roses. And God knew we would, have, we would need a strong faith to carry us through these difficult times. So he designed... That when we come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we not only come to him, we come to his family. And he places us in a family. Because in order to have a strong core faith, you need more than simply biblical insights and winning strategies. We need each other. My nephew recently took his family down the Manistee River 
he decided it would be a great family thing to do to go tubing. He's a little bit Dutch, so he decided to save some money. He brought the swimming pool tubes from home with to go tubing down the Manistee River. They tried all sorts of positions, all sorts of configurations to manage those $6 Walmart rafts. But they didn't even make it 100 yards within 15 minutes when they quit. And they didn't even go back to do it the right way, to get the right kind of tubes. They just quit. As I reflected on his story when he told it at a family gathering, I thought, you know, uh, part of the Christian journey is going down one of those rivers called the Colorado on one of those big honking yellow rafts. You know, you don't go down there together. You go down there with a the leader. You go down there with a team that knows what they're doing. You need someone out front who's looking for the rocks. You need someone in the back who's doing the rudder. You need people on the side who are rowing the oars. You need people in the middle who are holding the guys who are rowing the oars. I mean, everyone needs to work together if you're going down the Colorado. It's not a perfect illustration, but it came to my mind. To navigate difficult waters in a trip. Drowning people don't save drowning people. We need each other, and we need the right equipment. The church suffers not just because we face turbulent times. That's not the reason why we suffer. But we, mess, we miss the mechanism God has given to us of how to endure well. If we want to live out the teachings of Jesus, we must follow the model Jesus gave as well. If we want to be a disciple and grow as a disciple, we also got to help others grow as a disciple too. We have to help them to learn to stop trusting in their own strength and their own self-determination and help them develop a trust and faith in Jesus that will help them flourish in life. This takes time and effort and intentionality to not only be trained as a guide in life, but to help train others to be a guide in life. If we want to live out the teachings of Jesus, we must follow the model Jesus gave us to fulfill his mission, his mission. We believe that Jesus' mission led him to die on the cross for our sins, that the sacrifice that he gave on the cross was a sacrifice he gave so that we could enter into a lifelong, eternal relationship with the triune God, an abundant life, here and now, now and forever. And that's a big part of his mission. There's another part of his mission, and that is to make disciples, people who know his teaching, live out his teaching, and tell his teaching 
to others. What good is this fantastic story and the difference that it's made to us if people don't hear it? What good is it? I'd like to offer to you in closing. Yes, in closing. I'm there already. I told you my sermons were going to be shorter. A definition of a disciple. Because we should be clear on our goal, right? We should be clear on what the goal is. And I want to use the definition that Jesus used. That's found in Matthew chapter 4. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. So let me, for the next two or three minutes, just dissect that. Follow me. Make a decision to respond to Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus because we know who he is and we know what he has done. First of all, it is someone who has made a decision to follow. This one who came to earth and became human like us to live and to roam with humanity, to experience life's hurts, struggles, pains, as well as joys that all of humanity experience. He came to voluntarily offer himself on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. Not just a six-hour punishment, but as our catechism says, his whole life long. And then he rose from the dead to give new life to all who believe in him as being the great forgiver and the great leader. So we can live lives modeled by Jesus. Follow me. A disciple is one who has decided to follow. For how can we come to grips with someone who gave himself completely for us without giving ourselves completely for him? Be changed is the second part. And I will make you. A disciple is someone who is willing to be changed by Jesus. By the power of his spirit and the power of his word, we are true and faithful to God in every way. We live a life of love, giving ourselves away to others, being kind to everyone we meet. We love the lost and proclaim Christ in all we do and say. This is the change that he wants to bring, the change that we need to be open to. If we truly believe that we are to be changed by the costly grace of Jesus who gave his life for us, there will be a desire for us to open up our lives, to be changed by him. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Bill. I met Bill 25 years ago. He was uh, newly retired. He was at the church that I came to. Bill was baptized in our denomination, made a profession of faith lived his life in the Christian Reformed Church. Bill was a really nice guy. Bill's wife had a disability, and he took good care of her. And if you ask people, what's the story about Bill? They would have told you, Bill is a really nice guy. He was. 
and he took care of his wife without bitterness, without complaining. Bill was a nice guy. When I came, I uh, focused on guys, and especially guys that needed more of Jesus in their life. So I invited a, a bunch of guys to go to something that really had blessed me. That's what you do, right? When God works in your life and you're blessed, you invite people to come and to experience that blessing as well. So uh, I invited uh, a bunch of guys to go to what was called back then a Promise Keeper event that was going to be held at the Silver Dome. And about 25 guys came with me. I invited most of them. One guy I didn't invite was Bill, but Bill came. I didn't invite Bill because Bill was a nice guy, the nicest guy you would meet. So these events, they started uh, Friday afternoon, and they went until Saturday evening. And uh, I made all the arrangements, got the bus, got the hotels, you know, made sure everyone was taken care of. And uh, about Saturday afternoon, Bill found me in the corridor of the Silver Dome. Bill was a big guy, and Bill gave me a big monster hug, and Bill said, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Bill. And Bill, what happened? I know something happened. What happened? And he said, from being here, I have learned and made the decision to stop treating God like this and treating God like this. And he surrendered. When we got back to the church, uh, we had an opportunity to share with the church. One of the things about Bill, he was always in church on Sunday, and Bill was a twicer. You know what a twicer is? Back in the good old days. We had church twice, once in the morning, once in the evening. Bill was a good old twicer. Well, we had church in the evening, and, and Bill told his story, and people were surprised because Bill was such a nice guy, but there was something missing. A couple weeks later, at church on Sunday, sometime uh, maybe after church, before church, in fellowship time, his wife got a hold of me and said, I have to tell you something, which often means that the story is not going to end too well for me. I have something to tell you. Okay, Carol. Thank you. For what? Because Bill has changed. And we in the family, we have all seen it. And internally, I'm scratching my head still because Bill is such a nice guy. But there still was something big and missing in his life. And we started to see it. He didn't go gung-ho, but he started to hang out with guys more. He got involved in a ministry team. And about three or four years later, we installed him as a deacon at age 69. The first time he had been in leadership in the church. Now, I don't know the whole story about what happened the other 49 years or whatever. 
Uh, usually when someone who is that age gets installed, it's a testimony of someone who is dependent on the faithfulness of God. But Bill's testimony was different. His testimony that he gave was, it's never too late. It's never too late. And I've never been happier. Be willing to be changed. Jesus said, I will make you. Lastly, fishers of people. The third part of the definition Jesus gives is I will make you fishers of people. I find it interesting. He didn't say, follow me and I will make you holy people. It's probably implied. I mean, he does other teaching about that. But right here he doesn't. I will help you to reach other people with my story. To tell his story and the difference his story has made to us. The training that Jesus used with his disciples was highly relational, telling their story to people. And Jesus implies here that his disciples were not only to carry his message, but to carry his method to live out the teachings and the method of Jesus. It's to say, I don't know it all. In fact, I don't even understand a lot of what I know. But I once was blind, and now I see. I know that. I know that. Decide to follow Jesus. Be open to being changed by Jesus and reach others with the story of Jesus. That seems to me to be the invitation that Jesus gives. And we're going to continue to explore this invitation and the model that Jesus gave to us. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how grateful we are that you gave to us such a meaningful life. A life that we have not deserved, but a life that's characterized by your grace and your work. When we gather, we sing, and we bless you, and we thank you for the sending of Jesus and the difference that you, Father, Spirit, Son, have made in the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for that in our lives, and we pray you will help us to be willing to be open to your Spirit's work in our lives so that we're more than nice people, but people who show others uh, your way and your word. And Father, we live in a broken world. We thank you that we are not stayed broken as individuals, but you bring healing to us. But we, we see we are in a broken world. We uh, hear and see pictures of devastation on an island that fire has brought. And we know it's not just people on an island that are suffering, but people in wars around the world are suffering. People who are kidnapped are suffering. Uh, people who have been abused and made war against our suffering. We pray for the Prince of Peace.
that peace would come into this world. We pray for your church, that you would continue to raise up your church more powerfully, that we would work in your way, work and follow your path, bring healing, restoration, wholeness, and grace. We lift up our broken world, and we pray for your church to be a difference maker in your world. We pray for our community. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would be seen as one who offers a new way of life that is far better than the pursuit of any other kind of life. We pray as our neighbors get together and come to this place on Wednesday for the mobile food pantry. We pray, Lord, that uh, the food that they, our neighbors receive would know that that comes from you because you have a humongous heart filled with love. Help us, Father God, to slow down, to meet the people who come, to listen, to pray, and maybe even to tell a quick part of our story. We pray that this Wednesday would be a time when we would see your grace and love in action once again. We pray this week for our neighbors on Willard Avenue. We pray, Father God, that you would bring a special blessing to them and that they would know that blessing comes from you. We pray for our community. We pray for uh, Sid's father and the battle he has with cancer, that you would bring healing and health to him. And we pray for their family, that you would surround them, Lord, with your presence, give to them your care, give to them the uplifting people that are needed in this journey together. We pray that you will be with Pam and pray that you will continue to care for her now that she is in a different facility and that you will provide for Joe and David in the place that they need to move to to have a home. We join with Ken in praying for his family and friends that you would bless them. We pray, Lord, for those in our lives that are uh, important to us. Pray for Gail and for Sue, for Ralph, and for Dan and Rosemary. We pray, Lord, that you provide for them and the ongoing needs that they have day after day. We join together in praying for Luke as he is looking for a teaching position in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul that you will Provide him with that opportunity to use his passion and gifts and that you would bless uh, his new and wonderful marriage. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon them. We pray for the needs that we have and the needs in our family. We lift up today and this week the Walhoffs as they minister in Kapsawar, Kenya. We pray, Father God, that you will be with uh, Kim as she ministers with uh, women and men in the hospital and with uh, Christopher as he serves in the seminary there. Bless the ministry that they have, the touch that they give to people, 
And uh, we pray that your word would continue to go out strong from Capsuar. At the same time, we thank you for uh, those in our fellowship who have been safely uh, removed from Niger and the uh, and the trouble that's going on there. We pray, Lord, that you would bring peace, Lord, and you bring safety to the people in that country and to the other countries there in Africa that seem to be on, on troubled ground. We thank you once again, Father God, for your loving kindness to us. We thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus. We pray this week as we journey wherever you take us, you would help us to live that new life out. We pray all of these prayers in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.